0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get
1: 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com order now.
2: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Mike Ingersoll, Taylor Vipolis. You are listening to the Inside Carolina radio show, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Uh, guys appreciate you joining me we're recording this on a tuesday night i'm actually sitting here watching boston and los angeles in the first game of the world series pretty exciting ball game yeah baseball in the freezing cold fun times mike i'll come to you first Uh, we kind of talked a lot off the air and we've talked a lot over the last few days about carolina and syracuse and another devastating loss but let's try to pull some positives out of this i mean a lot of guys made a lot of plays uh, over the last couple of weeks give me a player that you thought about a lot in the last couple of weeks and how well and how much better they've played of late and you can pick from either side of the ball your choice i think jonathan smith has shown improvement at middle linebacker
1: um certainly from where he was last year after andre smith got hurt and he got thrown into the fire Uh, That game experience is finally starting to catch up and and pay off for him a little bit. He's got a long ways to go, but he's, he's a big body in there. And he, he certainly passes the look test and he's, he's, he's moving a little better. His pass coverage needs, needs some work, but um, his run fits and everything are are solid. And he seems to be where he needs to be more more times than not. Um, His foot, his footwork is good. I don't see a lot of false steps. Um, So Jonathan Smith has gotten, gotten better. William Sweet is another one. He's starting to get some, recognition um you know in terms of how he's grading out and things like that and a lot of that subjective you know it, offensive line coaches grade different guys differently and um you know S- Williams has been playing well um best offensive lineman in the a c c uh for this past week i'm not I'm not so sure about that but I know he was up there i mean i I'd, I'd say he's he's probably one of the top five uh, performers but again some of that some of that stuff is subjective some of the things that he's working on is uh, or needs to work on, I guess, or uh, his, his three-point stance in pass protection. I can tell every single time we're throwing the ball when our offensive line's on the three-point. If I can just look at William Sweet, I can tell you what's about to happen. Um, so he has a tell in his three-point stance, which a lot of college, college players do. I did. Um, most guys do just because coming out of a three-point stance in pass protection, especially at tackle, is awkward and it's, it's difficult to learn how to do it properly. Uh, It takes a lot of drill work that you just don't necessarily have during the middle of the season. And then uh, I've harped on it every week, but footwork on the backside Uh, pullers. So this isn't just a William thing, but it's, it's an everybody thing, Um, especially our guards on powers and counters and things like that. Um, Our pull footwork and our backside footwork, which are essentially the same. um, They, they need some work. There's a lot of false steps there, stepping underneath yourself, not gaining ground on your first step. And it's costing us. Uh, it, it delays the play and it, it slows you down from getting to your assignment. And usually the guys that, the guys that are responsible for second-level guys or pullers or are backside backside blockers that are responsible for second-level guys when they take a bad step, our plays are designed to hit so quickly that their responsibility is the one that's hitting hitting the ball carrier and making the play or at least disrupting the play. So that's those are some things that we have to work on generally. But in terms of two players that I think have shown real improvement, it's William Sweet and Jonathan Smith.
2: One from each side of the ball. Taylor, your thoughts
0: there. Uh, I think there's plenty of guys to go around, but give me your take. Yeah, if I had to pick who my like MVP performance would be so far for uh, this team, it would be Jason Strobridge. I think you know the defensive line came in with a lot of hype. You had to deal with the suspensions to Taman Fox and Malik Carney. Aaron Crawford, the, arguably their best player on the defensive line, has been out. And Jason Strobridge has kind of come in and forced the coaches to play him and play him a lot of reps. He's a, a force inside. He has three sacks this year. Um, I've been really impressed with his get off on the ball. I was kind of I had him as one of my breakout players this year, but you know, even in like my wildest uh, outlook of the season, I didn't think he would be this good, this fast. And I think that's a positive sign for when guys like Aaron Crawford come back, and you could get two guys inside like Aaron Crawford and and Jason Strobridge. And then there's there's been a lot of guys who you could say they've played good, but then you have to follow it up with like a but they also do this pretty uh, pretty poorly. Like a guy like Daz Newsome, I think um, coming into this year, I was looking for him to be more of a guy uh, than what he has been, just getting jet sweeps and. I think he's shown that the past couple of weeks, but he also had a huge drop in the Virginia Tech game. And, you know, he has to work on putting complete games together. But in terms of the athleticism, you could see it there. Uh, a guy like Patrice Rene, you know, the cornerbacks was a huge question mark coming into the season. And I think Patrice Renee the past two weeks has come on really strong. He got his first career interception against Virginia Tech. He got his second career interception against Syracuse. Um, so it's good to see him kind of putting together all the pieces to be um, a solid piece on this defense because, you know, Carolina is not where they want to be right now, but if they hope to get there in the future, it's going to take guys like Patrice Renee guys like Jason Strobridge to kind of be that uh foundation on the defense.
2: Mike, let's talk about Patrice Renee. And I mean, that's a guy, I believe it was 2016 Georgia in the Georgia dome that got picked on terribly and had some bad penalties. And people, I think they brought that up in the broadcast. But he's a guy, we've talked a lot about player development, especially off the air in these podcasts. Um, But that's a guy, like Taylor mentions, that I, if you'd have told me two years ago that he'd be um, the guy that nobody wants to throw at on this North Carolina defense, I, I would have been shocked. But that's a credit to him, and that's a credit to his coaches back there. And his coaches back there haven't been the same. Your thoughts on his progression and uh, the coaching up of Renee?
1: Well, Patrice is probably his success is most likely a product of his desire to be good. Right? He wants to. He he wanted to get better, and he wants to be good, so he is. And it's there, there's no there's no substitute for that. It, you see, guys on every team at the high school, college, and even pro level that have all of the natural gifts and all of the tangible things, the measurables that you want to see in a player. But the one thing that you just can't ever, you can't coach up and you can't instill in a guy unless they want you to instill it in them is your intangible things. Your, you know, a, a desire to be a good player. And that will take you pretty far. You know, the old cliche of, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, that's sort of true, but you know, it's, it's talent and hard work will beat talent when talent doesn't want to work. You know, it doesn't want to work hard. That's, that's really what it is. You have to have the, the, the athletic foundation to actually capitalize on that. And it looks like Patrice, Patrice Renee has done that. Uh, You're right. You bring up the Georgia game and he was, uh, you know, he was Ryan Gosling out there, man. He was a, he was a complete liability. I was screaming to let PD in and, he really turned it around in the last couple of years and he always showed flashes of, of, of his ability right now. He's, he's not there yet, but he, again, he's, he's a work in progress, but he's, he's significantly better than he was two seasons ago where on a national stage, he was, like you said, getting picked on. I, I'm, I'm impressed by him, especially because our secondary isn't exactly a strong suit right now. We we have some holes back there, but he isn't one of the problems. And, in you know, years past, I'm, I won't say that he was a problem, but he was, a weaker link, not the weak link, but he had room for improvement, and he's taken that stride and made that improvement, and it's it's made our defense better as a whole. It, it, it helps the defensive line. You know, uh, Taylor keeps talking about our defensive line is exceeding expectations right now, at least in terms of certain individual performances, and I would say on the whole they're exceeding expectations. And they were expected to be the strong suit of the team coming into this year, but their job is easier. Their job is made easier by good secondary play, and Patrice is certainly helping our defensive line meet or exceed the expectations they had coming into the season. And that may be, you know, he's helped one guy. Maybe he's the reason Jason Strowbridge got a sack that he shouldn't have got, right? Maybe he's the reason that that Malik Carney or Taman Fox got a hit or got a hurry on the quarterback that they necessarily wouldn't have gotten if he weren't back there. So, you know, th- there's, there's things that show up in the stat line, but then there's things that don't show up in the stat line. And I would be willing to bet that Patrice Renee has made the team better by him making himself better.
0: I think you also see more consistency at the safety positions, which kind of helps out Carolina when a guy like Miles Dorn is back there kind of anchoring the defense. J.K. Britt as a senior anchoring the defense. Those guys getting the calls out to Patrice Renee. I think that helps him. You saw in the Virginia Tech game, Miles Dorn actually um, had the pass deflection on the receiver, which led to Patrice Renee's interception and him being in the right spot. So I think the safety play has been pretty good this year when guys like um Miles Dorn are healthy and uh that has definitely contributed but as a whole on defense this was kind of something like Mike was talking about that Georgia game you're only as strong as your weakest link on defense and more often than not an offensive coordinator can find who the weak link is on the defense and right now in Carolina secondary teams are identifying that to be Greg Ross and whether whether Carolina has anybody better right now um, than Greg Ross is uh, seems to be the problem.
2: So, Taylor, sticking on that point, and a lot of times, especially against Virginia Tech, he, Ross didn't make a play. Against Syracuse, he certainly looked physically outmatched at times, but he made some plays. How does a, a defensive coordinator, if you don't have a lot of other bodies there, how do you scheme around that I mean it doesn't seem possible at least watching North Carolina try to do it but is there a way to to do that to not hide well I guess yeah hide a weak link I mean they had success with Dungy Dungy did not play well against North Carolina but uh, Tommy DeVito certainly came in and slung it around and then that weak link showed but your thoughts there on how do you manage that from a coaching standpoint
0: yeah, the only way you could really manage it if you want to stay in man-to-man coverage and Syracuse does have really long receivers who kind of can bail out a quarterback at times with these uh really lengthy catches. But if you want to stay in man-to-man, you're going to have to, you know, take one of your safeties and kind of spy him over the top. You could do kind of like a double bracket coverage and try to try to help out that other corner so he knows he has help either over the top or whether it's inside and trying to take that pressure off. Or if you want to switch up, man, you could just put, run like a cover two and just have him occupying the flat. But I think he's also been a liability in, um, in tackling too. So it's, it's something that you can try to mask it, but at the end of the day, you can't hide where somebody is.
2: Before we move on, let me tell you about heels 15. That's all you need to know to get 15% off your order of Jersey Mike's from Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. Use the code ONLINE ORDERS at any Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and now the Chatham County area stores, that new Chatham County stores, Chatham Crossing and Lowe's Food Shopping Center, right in the heart, uh, it's 12 minutes from the heart of Chapel Hill, right on the way for anybody coming to Chapel Hill from Laurenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, even Sanford or Pittsburgh but you can support the Inside Carolina podcast and thank Charlie and Clint and Griffin at Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill for their continued support of Inside Carolina in this podcast. Use the code Hills 15 get 15% off your order. Go to jerseymikes.com, front slash order. Pops up locations nearest you. Click one of those Chapel Hill area stores. Pick your order, pick your favorite subs at checkout. Enter code Hills 15 and get 15% off. Do it today. Do it for a tailgate. Carolina and Georgia Tech, November 3rd. Great opportunity to get 15% off your Jersey Mike's order with that code Hills15. The three locations in Chapel Hill are all right off I-40. They're super convenient. And now Jersey Mike's is inside Keenan Stadium with, and with the tailgate guys this fall. Support the IC Podcast. Get 15% off your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win for the Inside Carolina radio show listeners. Mike, you mentioned the linebackers there, and Cole Holcomb's certainly been around. I noticed on the snap chart, or, or the snap count chart, if my eyeballs were correct, that Carolina only played two linebackers the entire game against Syracuse. I mean, that seems to, to me to be unheard of. Your thoughts on that? Your thoughts about how Holcomb played as well?
1: Yeah, Cole has been a ball hawk his entire career, and there, there that's why I didn't mention him earlier when you asked me about who's been who's shown improvement and, and and who are the guys that are kind of catching my eye because cole is steady and consistent and productive and you know yeah that's just not a guy that I needed to mention there's there's not improvement that needs to be had with him there's nothing that i've noticed because he's always on he's always he's he always seems to be making plays um and he, he did the same thing against syracuse i mean listen every everybody made mistakes against syracuse everybody's made mistakes every game this year. But the one guy that seems to be one of, if not the most consistent and steady force on our defense is Cole Holcomb. And part of that is game experience, part of that is um general football IQ. I mean when you watch him play um at, at least in the term at least in the way you can tell he's diagnosing offenses and diagnosing plays, um, you know, there's a there's a football IQ there that uh is 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 invaluable it's it's he's he looks like a faster uh more athletic in terms of lateral movement or pass coverage skills version of jeff Shopmer. and jeff was a jeff was a very smart football player jeff was another guy that could diagnose a play pretty quickly cole shows similar traits and that that allows him to be successful it allows the rest of the defense to be successful but um in terms of production i mean there's really not much to say other than you know he's he had another game like he's had a game just about every other one he started and played in and that was you know consistently productive from start to finish
2: hey let's sort of turn this to virginia uh, we'll preview it uh, for the inside carolina tailgate show later in the week but looking ahead uh, i want some stories about games at virginia i know mike has some i remember um, ronald curry saying way back in the day and it probably well before he ever got there, that the first thing they said is, do not take your helmet off on the sidelines at Virginia. Let's talk about those those stories and the experiences up there. Taylor, you go first. Um, or, or just any game against Virginia. Carolina, Virginia, oldest rivalry in South, whatever they want to call it. It still means a lot to a lot of people um, in these two states. Your thoughts on that ball game?
0: Yeah, when we were there, um, when I was playing – it wasn't it never felt like too big of a rivalry like we didn't lose to them they were having their down years towards the end of um mike london and it just seemed like their fans weren't into it when we were going down to charlottesville like we would drive in and be like oh this looks like this looks like a uh, you know a lesser down version of chapel hill beautiful campus we would show up to the game it was majority unc fans or majority empty stand uh an empty stadium so i don't have any like hostile feelings towards virginia um the the best game that i can remember was the 2016 game where um we really beat them uh it was we didn't even beat them that bad um early on i think they that was a the game they had like a fake field goal or something and it was just a game where you knew adversity was going to hit at some point, and I think that was a sign of those earlier teams or some of the better teams with Coach Fedora, where how they handled that adversity. Um, it was one of the first games. I think it might have been the first game Mac Collins missed. Bug Howard wore his thirteen, so that was a cool storyline. Uh, we ran a trick play. I think it was Mitch to like TJ Logan to somebody else and then they wound up throwing it back to mitch who threw it a bug for a touchdown and then the route was just kind of on from there pro had a pretty deep touchdown i remember uh brian chaco's friend of friend of the program uh he was with his buddies in the end zone and uh one of his buddies like ran on to the field to start celebrating with uh, pro so we never, and then it just, that game just turned into a blow from there. So we never really had a hard time with Virginia. Um, they didn't do anything schematically where we had to put in this like extra preparation, it was just kind of a business as usual game for us. Mike,
2: your take? I mean, once upon a time, Caroline hadn't won in Charlottesville since like 81 or something, since Ralph Sampson was up there. Um, and then of course, we know about the game we don't mention. Uh, but your time at Carolina, what do you remember about Virginia the most? And I know you've got some stories, so let it loose.
1: Well, Virginia was a different animal for me. So, you know, Vips' experience with Duke is more of a rivalry, I would say, in football than my experience with Duke was. Um, and then it flipped in terms of his experience with Virginia versus my experience with Virginia. Um we beat Virginia in 2010 up there in Charlottesville for the first time since I, – I think you're right. I think it was 1981, and that was a blowout. I think it was a 44-10 to 10 or maybe a 44-13 to 13 win. Um, I remember uh, Dwight Jones had a big touchdown the first play of the game. I think it was. I think it was first play from scrimmage. Um, he, we, I think it was a 75 or an 80-yard touchdown. Um, what I remember the most, though, from Virginia was the 2008 – yeah, to the 2008 game at Charlottesville, where it looked like we had the game won. We were up by 10, I believe, for most of the game. Um, I remember Hakeem had a pretty had, had a big game that that weekend, and uh, they came back and actually beat us. I think it was the last one of the last two possessions of the game. I think we had to go into a two minute drill. I uh, went up losing the game where we were down, but the game ended during the two minute drill for us. Um, and that looked like we were going to break the streak then, and we didn't. And that's when I realized that it was a little more serious than, um, you know, than we had previously anticipated. Obviously, um, we lost in 2009, and uh, you know, I've shared my feelings about that game and my experiences personally in that game, and um, things that I did that I, I felt like cost us that game. Um, not that I was bigger than the team or ha- that that impactful generally, but I think there were some boneheaded decisions that I made in that game that might have cost us that that game. And that was a low scoring deal. I think that game was uh, like a 13 to 10 loss or something like that. Um, so Virginia is a different, different animal for me. And I always found them to be one of, one of the three dirtiest teams that I played in college state is number one, Virginia is number two, and Tennessee was a pretty dirty team at number three, but I only had to play them once. Um, but something about those kids, you know, up there in Virginia, I, I still see it a little bit, um, you know, near piles and, uh, individual matchups and stuff, but I don't think they're as bad as they were. But for but Virginia, there for a while was, I mean, just some of the some of the dirtiest, cheap shottingest dudes I, I'd ever lined up against, and you couldn't really understand why because, I mean, they they always just sucked, and there was really no reason for it. But I mean, maybe that's maybe that's how you play when you suck. I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should start it. Maybe maybe we, maybe we should start incorporating a little bit of that, uh, in, in our game. Maybe we'll turn our program around.
0: Our games against Virginia kind of just always felt like a stat pattern game. Like somebody on our team was going to go off for a huge game and like the talk leading up to the week, it was like, Oh, who's going to be, who's going to be the guy that kind of does that in 2012. Uh, I think that was the game where Quinnshot had like 16 or 17 catches where it was like, they were playing off him like 15 yards every time. And Brynn was just looking at him and just throwing screens and, letting Quinshaw just pick up 10 yards every time Uh, the next year was I, that was the year back home. I think where Quise had like a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown the next year, Matt Collins put up like 120 receiving yards, had two touchdowns. So it always felt like a game, like completely different. What Mike said, like we went into that game, we didn't really know about the past. Like, a lot of the times, like, fans think about the past and uh, the history between the two teams a lot more than the players. Like, we didn't know that we hadn't won at Charlottesville in a while. We had just seen this team on film, and w- just watching the film, we were like, we're going to beat this team by 20-plus points if we play our best game. Yeah, I think Kellen's won
2: four straight now in Charlottesville. You know, right, I remember the Dwight Jones game. I'll share my Virginia memory after I talk about HillsTravel.com. It's the easiest way to book travel to Big North Carolina away basketball games. And right now, Hills Travel is offering the best package deal to Chicago to see UNC take on Kentucky on December 22nd. It's one of their biggest games in the college football or excuse me, the college basketball season. Visit HillsTravel.com now. Call three or call 336 855 60 to book. That package includes nonstop airfare to RDU, from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, and two nights at the Chicago Omni, which is right where the basketball team is staying. A great chance to see your Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent. Check out a great city around Christmas time. And I've said it before, Chicago, especially I believe Michigan Avenue at Christmas. Great place. Take the family, see the sites, spend some money. HeelsTravel.com or call 336-855-0060 to book. My UNC Virginia memory is uh, my son's first game was 2005 in Chapel Hill. I think Al Groh was still at Virginia. Uh, yep. the, la- the loudest flyover I've ever heard. Not even close because they threw the afterburners down and almost – scared my 2 year old to death carolina won uh 7 to 5 i believe that was a uh, so that, that was a uh, Bunning and grow so very very i was fun at
1: game that game. i was I, I was at that game <laughs> 7 <laughs> to 5 i remember that i was i was at that game is that the game where is that the game where mike uh uh mike mason punted the ball into the stands at the end of it or was that
2: maryland uh, i'd have you to remember look. that 05 game it, I, I remember Mason. It. I
1: think I,
2: uh, I'm I, uh, Google it while we're still talking because I'm going to ask Taylor um, as we near the end of this show. On your latest segment on Inside Carolina, you mentioned the time for moral victories is over or gone past. And I agree. Um, so here Carolina stands at one in five. Uh, they've been there before, they've been there before and had a ton of success. And as I mentioned before off the air, in that season, I believe 13, the schedule wasn't that difficult um, after Carolina started 1-5. and five. And this year, I don't think it's hugely difficult, though there are two big rivalry games in there. But, Taylor, just your your thoughts on where they are right this second and where they need to get for program's sake in the next six weeks.
0: Yeah, I think it's going back to – one of the statements that Coach Fedora said were that they're close, but at the same time, you know, they're really far away. Um, it's it's a team that just beats themselves and they find ways to lose. Like uh, they're not playing the best teams the past two weeks in Virginia Tech and Syracuse, but you know, you can't control who's on your schedule. You can't control how they're playing. All you can do is control how you play and put forward your best effort. And I think the team is Coach Fedor hasn't lost a team. These guys are all going out with the intention of putting on the best game. But right now, I think it's a combination of the coaches making mistakes late at games, you know, that not trying to get into field goal range is a puzzling uh, decision from the end of the game from Carolina's offensive side. And then you have guys from a coaching and development perspective where there's certain guys on this team where they shouldn't be in from a development standpoint where they're the guy who's giving you the best chance to win this game. And then in terms of the rest of the schedule, it's 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 not that hard on paper. But, you know, State's had Carolina's number in recent years. Duke's had Carolina's number in recent years. Georgia Tech's always a hard team to prepare for. Virginia's playing their best football. Um, the only the only sure win you would say right now is Western Carolina, but if the team can kind of figure it out, maybe they can. Maybe best case scenario, go three and two. But it's just something until you see them able to not beat themselves. It's hard to see them going anything but like all one and four to end the year. Mike, I
2: was googling the Carolina seven five win, and it says Tar Heels. So those- I- Tar Heels hold off late rally. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Win. Yeah, um, I'm seeing that. I'm
1: seeing uh, Marquise Hagens <laughs> at quarterback, right? I remember when Jameel Sewell was their quarterback. I remember Mark Verica when he was their quarterback. I actually knew Mark. Mark's a good guy. Um, he's Matt the only Baker, guy I think ever played at Matt, there, Baker, for Carolina and Matt, Matt Baker Former Carolina. Matt Baker. Former Inside Carolina analyst, Matt Baker.
2: Hey, he needs not to be former. He needs to join us on one of these. And
1: uh, Ronnie is Ronnie still? Ronnie still a scout with the Pats? Ronnie Ronnie was up there when I was up there. Um remember I saw him when they worked me out. I was shocked. I didn't even know he was up there. Still well, looks the, like he can play.
2: This uh, this uh, drive summary on this game is hurts to look at. This one it is hilarious. Um, but that's what you expect in seventy-five, Mike. Close the show talking about the uh, same thing I asked Taylor there. Moral victories are over. You got to put some W's somewhere on the board, or this thing's just going to bottom out, crater out in a hurry. Uh, they've got some opportunities here. They've certainly let some go. Your thoughts moving forward, heading into Virginia and beyond?
1: Well, for Pittsburgh was the first time we saw it, but we saw it against Syracuse, where offensively we were pretty much able to do whatever we wanted and if there were mistakes or drives that stalled out it was because of something that we did wrong. Um that's encouraging because it shows that we're actually in control of our own fate, right? Where we control what happens to us at least offensively. Um the the problem is, is that we do like Taylor said, we do end up just shooting ourselves in the foot. And until we can put together a, a at least a complete game, one complete game where where we 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 close one out that we should have in the bag like Syracuse I man that game was over you're up you're up by a touchdown with two minutes to go you should be able to get one first down run the clock out and the game's over um the fact that we could do that it, it makes you wonder if we were in that position because we were supposed to be in that position or if we were in that position as a result of just fortune and being uh catching a couple lucky breaks and and and, and sort of just flying by the seat of our pants uh, until we can put a game together from start to finish where we're in control the entire time offensively, because defensively, I think for the first time in a while, I actually feel confident enough that we'll be able to stop people. Um, and if we can score more points, you know, if we can drop 30 points, then I think we can beat somebody. We, you know, we were able to do that against Syracuse. If we can do that against Virginia, I think we'll beat Virginia. Um, you know, and, and I, but I think Taylor said it right. I think three and two is the most realistic, uh, most realistic ending to the season, best case scenario. Um, worst case scenario and really probably the most probable scenario is a one and four finish um, with some flashes of us being in control uh, in, in some games, but I think we're going to see more of the same. Um, we'll show flashes of being able to do things and, and control the game and stay on stay on schedule and do the stuff we want to do offensively, but then we'll shoot ourselves in the foot at the most inopportune time and it'll end up costing us the game. I think we're going to see that at least two more times. Um you know I, I I'd be willing to bet I mean you're going to see you're going to see some some stupid stuff against Georgia Tech, you know, especially because we're not going to have the ball as much. Georgia Tech you can just go ahead and account for having two to three less possessions per game. Um you know Virginia might might be a, a similar um a similar setup and then NC State and Duke. I mean, I, listen man, there State State is a tough hard-nosed really frustratingly good team i say frustratingly frustratingly because i hate them and i don't want them to be good but I'll, i mean they they are they're a good team this year um duke is always fundamentally sound but under cutcliffe for the last five years they've been solid um and they just you know they, they they always seem to be a a good football team under dave cutcliffe so you know i don't know that we're gonna we're gonna you know ink out a couple of wins against those two so you know i think you know, a two and three finish, a three and two finish, I'd say that's 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 a that's a positive, but I'm looking at probably more one and four. I'm I'm in the same boat as as Taylor. I'm not overly optimistic here.
2: I know I said I was about to be finished, but Mike, you brought me another question to my mind, but let me take a quick break, we'll come back and I'll ask it guys, and then we'll get out of here.
1: Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or
2: servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Cajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Short answers. Give me 30 seconds apiece, and I said we were about to end, but I want to ask you guys this. Taylor, you first. Can a team change its stripes without a completely new staff? And when I say that, uh, Mike mentioned state, tough, hard nose uh, football team and all this and that. Can Carolina, can, can Carolina change the way they play the game without cleaning the house? And I'm not advocating it for it at all. I'm just asking, is that possible for a staff to totally change
0: a team's M.O.? I think it is possible. It takes a lot of work. I think if, you know, one of these games goes Carolina's way and, you know, players start to see the wins and, you know, they're back in the locker room post-game celebrating and they start to get this confidence towards these end-of-the-game situations where they're not thinking, we're going to blow this game and, and instead they're thinking, we're going to find a way to win this game. And then the coaches consistently put players in the best position to win I think you can change your identity because right now Carolina's identity is they're going to find a way to lose. Mike your thoughts can you
2: change your identity not necessarily in mid-season but can a seven years in let's do it that way seven years in can a team change their identity Or, or are you what we think you are?
1: No I mean they did it four years in so 2014 to 2015 those are those are two Completely different products on the field with basically the exact same roster. Now we talked about, uh, you know, what ultimately happened based on the players that were on that roster who recruited them. um, And once all those pieces were gone, what the product looked like the next year with, you know, the number two overall pick at quarterback um, that there's that, but the, the point is, is that, you know, that 2015 team had a nucleus of guys that were recruited by Butch Davis, but they weren't necessarily coached by that Butch Davis staff. Um, So there's, you know, there's two arguments to be made in that they were recruited for the positions they were playing and that's talent identification. But the flip side is they were actually on the field playing. And that, uh, you know, you need to give credit to the current staff. And the 2014 to 2015 transition was one of the most incredible I've seen in college football, at least as of late. So, yeah, I mean, you can, you can do it and we've actually done it in this program before. Uh, so it certainly can be done again. And and that 2015 season started with the second half of the 2014 season and and moving on. So, uh carrying that into 2015 so yeah i think we we can do
2: it we've done it before and i would be shocked to see it but it sure it sure would be a nice surprise good stuff taylor good stuff mike appreciate you guys joining me for this one uh that'll do it we'll talk again next week hopefully
0: thank you all right
1: thanks for listening to the inside carolina podcast presented by jersey mike subs of chapel hill Get 15% off your online order with the promo code Heels15. Go to JerseyMikes.com/order now.